0: Good morning, Originals. I'm really glad to uh, be part of this worship uh, broadcast today and uh, your gathering with your online house church or with your family group. Uh, It's been really good for us to examine this passage in 2 Timothy and follow what God has to say uh, to us as followers of Jesus and even what the church is supposed to be like these days. And like Pilate, we may find ourselves asking at times when in a confrontation and in a squeeze, well, what is truth? What is true and who is true? Um, We have to keep in mind that the perspective on truth and what is false is that lies or what is false is always a degradation of the truth. It's a degrading of the truth. And in an age of fake news and fake people, uh, we may find ourselves with a variety of responses. On one hand, we may throw our hands up and say, oh, who can know the truth? Or we may just quit caring. Or we may actually lean in and say, oh, I want to to know the truth. We have to be careful there that our our, um, desire for uh, truth or for some kind of purity uh, isn't such that it creates a kind of deadness. In us, and we'll we'll get to that more. But we live in a in a time, a precarious time, I believe, where it's really essential for us as followers of Jesus and in the church that we take hold of why truth matters and particularly why the truth of the gospel matters, and that we can distinguish between what is true and false. In an age where we're not sure that one can do that, our professors and teachers still include. Uh, true-false questions on their test because they expect that you should be able to distinguish between what is true and that which is false. For the apostles, Paul and the disciples who were leading the church in that first century after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the integrity of the gospel was really important. And they kept working out what does it mean for us to live out the integrity of the gospel, that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had actually worked through his people Israel to bring Jesus as a blessing for all the nations, to include them now in the gathering of the church, his people called out from darkness into light, so that they might rise up as the new temple, the gathering of God's people filled with the Holy Spirit. What they had discovered along the way is that false teaching and false teachers would lead to a catastrophic failure uh, in the church and would lead to a crisis. And the church in Ephesus uh, had experienced that. Uh, We don't get that sense when we read the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians has us having this wonderful sense of a church that is doing very, very well. However, in Acts chapter 20, Paul had spoken prophetically to the elders of Ephesus and warned them that he feared that wolves, ravenous wolves, would come into their midst to uh, devour them. And his fear was that there would be leaders who rose up within the city and region of Ephesus and that they would uh, lead the church astray and that they would devour people. Timothy was dealing with the fallout of this very thing that had happened. In 1 Timothy, we find Paul addressing it. And now in 2 Timothy, again, we find Paul addressing the issue of false teachers, and particularly how Timothy should give himself to that which is true, and that he should modify always his belief, behaviors, and attitudes according to the gospel of Jesus and the word of God. So we want to pick up our reading in 2 Timothy, beginning in chapter 2, verse 14. 2 Timothy, chapter 2, verse 14. Paul says to Timothy, Keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, and who handles, who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, The Lord knows those who are His. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be made instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil, who has taken them captive to do his will. And I continue now in Second Timothy chapter 3. But mark this, They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Hembrus opposed Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. They are men of depraved mind who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far because, as is the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. Now, this is an occasion where Paul did not mind calling out those who were false teachers. However, he didn't give a lot of time or airspace or writing space, in this instance, to their false teaching. He just says of their false teaching there in um, verse 18, They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. Paul is dealing with a situation in which those who had converted uh, to a life with Christ and had been transformed with Christ had become uh, challenged by their cultural sensitivities about the body, perhaps. And in this case, they said the resurrection has already happened. And so they displace and discourage others in their faith. Paul has some very general things for us to understand about false teaching and understanding what it does. He indicates that false teaching creates a kind of quarreling, a kind of quarreling about words, it seems to create a situation where people become very concerned at winning the argument. But he goes on to say that it has no value and actually ruins those who listen. And those who indulge in this kind of debating lifestyle uh, about quarreling over that which is false will actually develop a insisting, persisting uh, ungodliness in their life that this kind of indulgence produces ungodliness. And he uses a very descriptive phrase here to, to speak of this false teaching. He says in verse 17, their teaching will spread like gangrene. Gangrene is a kind of decaying and death of the flesh that continues to spread in one's body and ultimately would consume another person. He indicates that this kind of rot was deathly. And so it is with false teaching, that false teaching creates a kind of death spiral in the lives of others, where our belief, our behavior, and our attitudes go far from Christ and actually depart from the Word of God. When we consider what the Word of Truth is meant to do in our lives, we have to consider then what it is going to produce. And Paul describes a kind of assurance that's created by the word of God. He says in verse 19, nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm. Sealed with this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. And so this word of God established through the gospel and in the life of his people creates a kind of assurance where the spirit of God comes and convinces us and brings a conviction in our lives that we truly are known by God. And so we can trust that the Lord can sort us out. But there's also a kind of um, godliness that's meant to be created by those who know the gospel, who know Jesus and who know God's word, we're actually supposed to turn away from wickedness. Notice he said, everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Now, the wickedness that Paul has in mind isn't just behavior, but it's also that of belief that Paul is associating here false belief with a kind of wickedness. And he goes on to say that we would turn away from that because false beliefs creates a kind of uselessness in our lives, a kind of emptiness and a kind of vanity in our lives. Notice he says in verse 20, he's using the metaphor of vessels in a home, and that in a large house, he says, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. He's indicating here that each of us, by adjusting, repenting, changing our minds about what we believe because of this confrontation we've had with grace and truth and Jesus Christ, that this will change, bring us into a process of repentance, of belief and it changes the usefulness of our lives. Notice he says in verse 21, those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be made instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good works. I had a friend who came to Christ in his 60s, and he was very descriptive about the kind of repentance in his life. And he said that as he read the scripture, he realized he needed to change his stinking thinking. And so it is that when we read the Word of God and study the Word of God, and we come to see the the beauty of the gospel, we come to see the reality of Jesus, then we have to put away this kind of stinking thinking, that which is false. In fact, Paul uses the word flee. He says that we should flee from it. And he's getting in here with, with the behavior. And so it's really difficult to disconnect our behaviors from what we believe and the attitudes we have towards people with what we believe. And so one of the things that happens is that when false teaching takes hold in the life of a church or a life of a people, it creates a kind of, um, weakness in our kinship bonds as a church, and people begin to fall away and to have to divide themselves. I believe this grieved Paul uh, deeply as he considered the terrible crisis that the church in Ephesians had had gone through, the church in Ephesus had gone through. And he considered it a kind of folly that would be evident to all. So how should we actually fortify ourselves to deal with false teaching? How is it that we might be able in this day to recognize in the church how white supremacy does not belong? How could we recognize that nationalism in the church does not belong? How could we recognize that in the church that moving our sense of identity or basing our sense of identity simply on the desires of our body is a false belief. How could we recognize then that um, greed is a kind of idolatry? And how could we recognize as well that having a cold and blind heart towards the poor is something wrong? How could we recognize in the church today that people truly do need a transformation of heart and life that comes from meeting the Lord Jesus and being um, captivated by the gospel and filled with the Spirit of God. We can only come to recognize and discern a difference between what is false and true if we will hold to the Word of God. Paul told Timothy, He said, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. He encourages Timothy again to hold to a knowledge of the truth and to lead others into it in the church so that people might come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will and later as we'll see next week and examine a little more closely Paul's insistence that the scripture that he had the old testament scripture was actually something useful to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus he says in second timothy 3:16 All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I wonder for us if you have committed yourself to actually knowing the Word of God, in order to present yourself to God. It is our hope and desire that everyone in the church would take up the right and responsibility to hold the scripture, to know the scripture, and to to read it. For example, in our conversations today about uh, justice, have you read Amos? In our conversations about um, uh, racial equality, have you read Galatians. Have you actually studied the Word of God? Have you looked deeply into the life of the kingdom of God expressed in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew? Take time to read the Word of God and learn how to correctly handle it. You need not be ashamed. Sometimes I hear a kind of uh, shame that comes from people who say, well, I just don't know enough. We're not asking you to become a teacher in front of others at this time, though God might call you to that. But you must become one who's comfortable at saying, ah, I don't know the answer, but I will go and search the scripture with others that we may discern what is true. This is the pathway that we have called to It is of great importance because we see not just the word of God is true, but that truth itself is embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the truth. And so when we consider uh, what we must hold up as uh, central to our exploration of truth, it's Jesus, his word, and the church. What do people have to say? about Jesus, his word, and the church. And I invite you into this life of considering the truth and setting your life into the way and pathway of Jesus, because then you will truly be a person for special purposes, purposes that will endure, and you will be holy and useful to Jesus, prepared to do any good work.